0: Welcome, all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Chad Robinson. Chad, how are you doing?
1: I'm excited to be back and talking about some movies. It's been a while.
0: It has. It has. And uh, for those of you who uh, are spoiled and like it, uh, your podcast to happen every week. Well, life happens. So uh, we're we're getting back to it now, and, um, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can. So uh. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah, people keep having babies. Knock it off. (laughs) Or just do it earlier like I did.
0: (laughs) All right, so, Chad, what was the last movie you have seen?
1: 1959's The Mummy. It's a Hammer film version of uh, the Universal Monster.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Starring Grand Moff Tarkin himself, Peter Cushing.
0: Very good, very good. And... The last one I watched was Eyes Without a Face. Excellent movie. Yeah, it was pretty enjoyable. I uh I don't normally go for foreign flicks, but this one came recommended to me from you and uh you uh you checked out it was it was good. It, it's a French movie and um it's a it's a horror movie. It's uh it's very it's got a really cool historic quality to it that I like. So um uh I
1: can't say it's the most
0: frightening movie I've ever seen but it's just good. It's well made. Right.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's it's a very very good one. So if you like foreign horror or you've run out of good American ones, check out that one. Also another one we're doing today. So.
0: Yeah. I think honestly, you could even say some people say I don't really like scary movies. This might actually be a good movie for you to do because it's well made and it's not like horrifying. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think of it as, like, if you're not a hard horror fan, that's a good one to go to. So anyway, today, though, we're going to do a hard horror that is uh, for the fans of horror movies. What movie are we going to do, Chad?
1: From Spain, we're doing 2007's Wreck.
0: All right. So Wreck comes out in 2007. It stars Manuolo Vas- uh, Velasco, Ferran Terraza, and Pablo Rosau and the it comes out in 2007, and it, the film premiered in August of 2007 at the 64th Venice International Film Festival. Wreck was then released in the United Kingdom in April 2008, so you, I usually see this uh, listed as either 2008, 2007, depends on where you view it, and North American DVD releases actually got it in 2009. The DVD for the film wasn't released until the U.S. until after the remake of Quarantine had actually come out, which is the U.S. remake of this movie, so Quarantine hit in 2008 and had been out in theaters prior to us getting the DVD. And so there was actually a sequel wreck 2, that came out in 2009. So as is sometimes the case with a movie like this, we had this in our Mr. Nobody episode as well. uh, Releases are sometimes funny without major studio U S releases.
1: Yeah. I mean, this one was, they thought it was going to be straight to video. So, it was shot for $2 million, something like that.
0: Right. Now, I don't, because it didn't get a, a normal release, I can't give you your typical normal statistics. So I can't tell you where it placed in the box office that year. There were no above or below it, but I can tell you this much. The number one movie that year was Spider Man 3. And uh, how does that make you feel, Chad?
1: <laughs> uh, like doing a bad comb over and dancing, nerdily. Evilly down the street? I don't know. That was a terrible movie. Go see this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> IMDb gives Rec a 7.4. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes give Rec an 89%, so they like it a good bit. And the audience scores not far behind, they give it an 82%. It wins the Reaper Awards from 2009 for Best Indie Foreign Production and the 2008 Goya Awards for Best New Actress for Manuela Velasco and the Amsterdam Film Festival 2008, the Silver Scream Award winner. So uh, it did well in the film festival route, and so it was appreciated. And Ched, had you seen Wreck before? If so, what was your background with it?
1: Absolutely. So Wreck is a movie that I kept seeing come up, and it's really hard to find. You can find Wreck, and it's R-E-C, so a lot of people have been doing W-R-E-C-K, but rec rec uh, you can find it on amazon but there's a bad english dub you really need to see this movie in its original spanish content i'm not one of those that you know you have to appreciate in the foreign language but the dub is really bad in english so it's you hard do to...
0: say that a lot though i mean you, you <laughs> do usually say go with the subtitles I, I haven't i don't think i've once heard you say yeah it's okay i
1: to it dubbed <laughs> all right well let me just put on my hipster hat and twirl my mustache. But yeah, yeah. so it, it was tough to get hold of. I eventually found uh, the Spanish film in its original original format with the subtitles and got to check that out a couple years ago. It was something that once I saw it, I was blown away. And I recommended it to Russell. I recommended it for the podcast as well. It was just one of those horror movies. I described it to Russell, Horror, mo- like big horror movie fans know this movie. But uh, if you're really focused on, I don't know, inside the U.S., you may not. This may not be on your radar. So I kind of wanted to get it on our audience's radar. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll give you
0: a break on the uh, the subtitle snob uh, routine. Although if we come to do Rumble in the Bronx and stuff like that, if you start going like, you really got to see Jackie Chan's Rumble in the Bronx with with the original language and not in subtitles, <laughs> I'm gonna start. I'm going to start to question you harder. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah this is that's fair
0: this is our second movie though that was in spain we did another one for pan's labyrinth which has subtitles as well that was better known because it's, it's guillermo del toro and uh so check that episode out as well so we have a i hope a bust uh sorry a booming uh audience in spain so uh now this is our second spanish movie so
1: yeah all right <laughs> sure. uh, Check us out. I wish I remembered enough Spanish to tell you to check us out in Spanish. but uh, <laughs> Check us out. Uh, yes. escuchen, por favor.
0: Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I had not seen Wreck before. Chad did recommend it to me after he got a hold of it. And I have seen it on Horror Movie countdowns. I always am building an everlong queue up. And sometimes it just has to do with when I can get to it. And it was a movie that I knew I wanted to see for a while. I didn't know much about it, though. Because it didn't have a lot of movie trailers and there wasn't a lot of U.S. buzz about it, I just knew it was well-regarded, and it was popping up on a lot of people's like top 100 of horror of all time. And I would say that's fair. I, I have my own little running tally of top 100 horror movies of all time, and this made my own. Uh, is that a fair thing for you to say as well, Chad?
1: Oh, absolutely. And isn't that the best way to go into a horror movie? like you've just heard it's good you have no other context whatsoever and you just get to view it with fresh eyes i that's my favorite way of discovering a movie is just walking into a buzzsaw of a movie like this
0: i don't think it's restricted to just horror but i think horror probably benefits from that even more but i think that's that's probably the best way to go into any genre of movie you know
1: yeah (laughs) i i feel like adam sandler it's inescapable like i know what i'm getting most of the time
0: i don't know there's uncut gems so maybe you don't know what you're getting
1: sometimes that, that's true hubie halloween was not bad by the way so as a horror <laughs> horror fan it was it was fun yeah uh, so
0: my this is my first time doing it and i like found footage movies i'm gonna say that right off the bat we'll probably talk a little more about that in a minute so this one hit me in a spot that works for me and i think this does it well and the pace is all fantastic, and I, I really got out of this uh, thoroughly chilled and thoroughly excited. So I I did look forward to this one, and I, I went back and watched a second time. And even though you kind of know where the stuff's going, it's well made enough and it holds up well enough that concurrent watches are still going to treat you well. And that's again sometimes whether it be mysteries or horror movies, sometimes once you've done it before it can't recapture the magic um this one does hold up to a rewatch i think so and which is a good reason why we're doing it now
1: oh yeah i'm i'm struck on rewatches by the craftsmanship behind it and you kind of get past the reading the subtitles and the plots in your head and you pick up more on the backgrounds instead of focusing on what's being said and of course if you have a spanish background any spanish background a lot of the words even from junior high and high school they'll stick in your head (laughs) like you're gonna know you're gonna hear tranquilo a lot calm down you know stay calm but uh when you really start to stop staring at subtitles and listen for the background and appreciate the shots i think a second viewing i enjoy it more the first is great for the pure horror aspect but then really appreciating the craftsmanship in this movie makes me happy
0: yes i i would totally agree with that a second watch is merited i think that's generally true i watch every movie that we do twice because once just to kind of watch it and take it in but in this case it's particularly important because you are pulled between the fast pace of what's going on in the subtitles it's not dialogue intensive you're not reading paragraphs of like subtitles uh but it is one of those things where your eyes are going to be locked in the bottom part of the screen and then you're going to be glancing up to see what happens And you're right. Once you've gone through it the first time, you know where the boat's going. You know where everything's going. You have the liberty to focus more on the imagery. And the imagery is good. So um, that's 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 where you want your eyes to be on the on the subject.
1: Yeah, it's a lot like The Ring. Like you, you're going to watch this movie and then you're going to pass it along to a friend. You'll get to see it a second time.
0: Yep. yep. So without any further ado, we're going to spoil Wreck and we'll be back after these messages. All right, we're back and this is your final warning there will be spoilers that lie ahead so chad for those who haven't seen Wreck since 2007 why don't you give people a reminder on what happens in Wreck?
1: let's go our movie starts with angela vidal and her cameraman pablo who are filming a show called while you're sleeping and they drew the assignment of covering a local fire station's night shift Things are pretty dull until the firehouse gets a call that an old woman is trapped in her apartment. Exciting stuff, right? So, Angela and Pablo, they get to ride along to investigate. When they arrive at the the apartment, two police officers have already gathered most of the residents, and they're down in the lobby. The firemen, along with the police, break open the old lady's apartment to investigate. Upon entering, they discover a sick, disoriented old woman. So they make the classic horror movie mistake. The oldest officer turns his back on the sickly old woman, and she promptly makes a meal out of his esophagus. So the remaining firefighters and the officer carry the wounded man downstairs, only to find that they've been sealed in. The equivalent of like a CDC is said, nope, you're not leaving. So panic ensues as Alex, uh, he's one of the firefighters, he gets tossed over the stairwell in just this great thought of a scene it's it's a great jump scare that i appreciate Uh, and the residents learn that there's an effect infection going on and that they're quarantined until blood samples can be taken from each of them Uh, obviously paranoia about this infection starts breaking out amongst the group fingers are pointed but turns out there's a dog that had been infected in the building before we learn that the infection is spread through saliva it's very similar to rabies a health inspector is led into the building. He emerges in this great scene in a hazmat suit, and he attempts to take control of the situation. Uh, but many of those bitten in the first rescue attempt begin turning into violent, aggressive monsters. This includes a police officer and the fireman from earlier. There's even a little girl whose mother has been claiming she had tonsillitis. Uh, she turned out to be the owner of that infected dog. So she turns into this monster and nearly devours her own mother. The tenants are picked off one by one, and Angela and Pablo manage to make their way to the penthouse of this apartment complex. There they discover records from the penthouse owner. He was an agent of the Vatican who was charged with isolating an enzyme of a young girl named Tristiana, believed to be demonically possessed. Kind of sounds like a Dan Brown book. The, The treatment failed, and it became contagious. They get attacked by an infected boy in the attic who destroys Pablo's light. And Tristiana herself emerges from the darkness looking for food. She's this ghoulish uh, figure in, uh, that's stalking Pablo and Angela. She winds up killing Pablo and then drags Angela into the darkness screaming. That's it. Curtains, no happy ending for you.
0: Yes. Yeah, it probably uh, probably doesn't end well. It's it's kind of open, but probably not really. So. <laughs> there is a rec, too. Yes, there is, and a three, right? And a four. Oh, I didn't know there was a four too.
1: There should um, be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so, found footage. Let's let's talk about that because this is this is our first found footage movie that we've covered on Retro Movie Roundtable. Chad, do you like found footage movies?
1: You know what I do? I it works for me, and I get why it doesn't work for other people. The shaky cam of Blair Witch, or worse yet, Cloverfield. Um, I I really appreciate Paranormal Activity. This type of genre works for me. Um, I I like it being gritty and real, and I like the amateurish camera angles, and just it it grounds me. I think.
0: I'm, I'm the same, and I, those same titles are the ones that are coming to my mind right away as well, and um, all of those work for me too. And Paranormal Activity is probably my favorite of the found footage movies, but this one, this one is in that second tier behind that. And I, I, I want to be clear, the first Paranormal Activity, because I feel like that, that series putters along after that
1: correct uh wreck kind of takes a similar divulgence about the second or third movie where it becomes about something else uh won't spoil too much but yeah if you've seen paranormal they they start trying to shoehorn things in another great one to check out if you haven't found footage is hell house llc people trying to open a haunted house attraction and things go wrong but it's very found footage and it's fantastic but yeah, it's a very uh, polarizing genre, I feel like, Blair Witch made some people really happy and really frightened, and others just thought, this is stupid. Now, you're
0: a zombie movie fanatic. I don't know if people in the listeners know that about you, but uh, zombie movies are something you absolutely love, isn't that right?
1: Absolutely. It's... The 2000s saw this resurgence of zombie movies, and they are everywhere in the 2000s and this is one of the absolute best to come out i have it as my number three favorite zombie movie of all time
0: wow wow and i i uh i know dawn of the dead is your
1: favorite right that's correct and and to be clear the the remake and that's gonna make a lot of people mad that, yeah i i really like the remake i i do and what's uh, number two train to busan which is okay. a korean zombie fl- film so i've got a a couple international ones but uh, i highly recommend train to busan it is excellent
0: wow impressive i thought you might, might go 28 days later there or something
1: so i like that a lot but honestly 28 days later and this is a weird one because this movie should make me sad but 28 days later makes me sad it does a lot of what the original dawn of the dead does of hey, we're going to stop focusing on the zombies and make the monsters the humans. And uh, I, I like that less. I, I stopped liking The Walking Dead because a lot of The Walking Dead uh, series wound up being how horrible humans are. And I just want to see people devoured.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I think George Romero, uh, director from Night of the Living Dead, uh, did say zombies are not... It's not really about the zombies. It's about the how people the real people are the real monsters and how they behave in the uh, face of something in face of the element of horror. So, um, so this is, uh, this is kind of, you've got a little bit of both. This one kind of walks both lines, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. There's paranoia. And particularly for this time period, you know, we're all quarantining and there's suspicion of who might have it, who might not, who's been responsible, who hasn't. and, coupled with that type of fear i just thought this was one of the perfect movie choices you know some people may not want to go down that road but uh the infectious disease leading to and the paranoia of your neighbor um there's even some racism built in here of oh well it's it's due to a chinese wet market and it turns out to be a little girl's dog
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and um, one of the things that you know you feel because it it is the sick little girl you know i mean and uh she's she's very cute and then uh it's heartbreaking when uh they don't get her help in time and she's overcome by it and then she becomes quite a demon to deal with
1: oh my goodness the scene with her just spitting that bile and everything else and it's hitting the camera and they're just trying to keep her from biting someone biting sergio oh well acted by that little girl but oh my gosh
0: count it i think that's the first time in the show that chad's praised a young actor
1: again i cite drew barrymore but yeah uh the the little girl that played jennifer uh claudia silva she did a wonderful job it was very muted until she had to go absolutely insane (laughs) so for the most part she was just there for other people to feel sorry for but well, yeah. She's
0: sick. She has tonsils. It's just tonsils.
1: Yeah. 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 Her mom mostly covered for her. But everyone in this movie, man, um, they're mostly unknowns. So I thought they nailed the entire cast.
0: How good is that when you go into a movie and you don't know anybody? Because, I mean, there's a lot of actors and stuff. And I do relish actors collecting different roles and doing certain things. But there's this liberty of. Truly not knowing anybody, and I like that when I go into a movie. Uh, How do you feel about that? Because this is a movie where most people aren't going to know anybody in this.
1: Yeah, I I think that's what I tend to like about horror is a lot of the movies I watch don't contain famous people. So you're not attached to someone. It's not like, oh, I'm watching Jennifer Lopez get devoured by something, you know, uh, anaconda or – These are people that I can just associate with the role. Now, Manuela Velasco, who's Angela, uh, she actually is a TV host over in Spain. So the Spanish audience may have thought differently than us. But coming from an ignorant American's point of view, these were people that I could just say, "Okay, you're Alex, you're Pablo, you're Sergio, whatever, and just instantly connect them with that character. And a lot of the smaller horror movies, you mentioned Paranormal Activity, done for so cheap the actors you know were nobodies they were waiting tables and so that was didn't have any attachment to katie
0: yeah no and i think one of the interesting things was the directors did not give the full script of the movie in its entirety to any of the actors so the characters um none of them knew their characters fates uh sometimes not until the day that they were actually filming those scenes and order to kind of promote this paranoia that's within them. So feeding the actors only a little bit of the information, a little bit of the characters at a time. And it's meant that the actors were more often than not stressed and nervous and apprehensive on the day of filming. And that agitation that the actor has, like, what am I supposed to do today actually helps feel the energy that the director wanted to have in the movie, um, Bold move. I don't know that I would do that. I think I would trust my actors uh, to act a little bit. I bet that was an interesting move that this movie made. Uh, do you see any of that paying off necessarily?
1: I think with the general irritation that they have in the lobby, like these are a bunch of people that just are sick of everything immediately. Yeah, I. it said they picked people that were particularly good at improv and that's needed given the background that we have for this movie selecting people that could quickly react to a situation that they weren't familiar with they hadn't really rehearsed uh i think that's great and i think to the shining and kubrick making his actors miserable they didn't push it as far in this movie it's more just a general tension and anxiety and maybe minor irritation on the surface uh, rather than, you know, driving an actor almost insane. <laughs> but uh this Also is... not
0: not not slapping the actors like Tony Scott did to Patricia Arquette.
1: Yeah, yeah, well there's that too. Um but yeah there's there's a fine line and I thought this was a good line for them to go down. they got the most out of deliberate nobodies for the most part. They they deliberately went out and chose nobodies as actors.
0: And- they put an extra layer into the casting too, to make sure the actors didn't know each other, like that those actors hadn't worked with each other before. And so uh, again, that, that fine tooth gum of just trying to control the variables that go into this contained environment with the actors. So uh, a lot of, a lot of direction or sorry, a lot of control from the director on the cast there.
1: Yeah. And they, they did such a, good job even from the opening of this movie they just do so many subtle things right you see Angela messing up her opening line for this tv show with her cameraman and she messes it up like three or four times and they don't really go out of their way to make her like this final girl the perfect uh, virginal character that we see in a lot of horror movie tropes she's kind of dislikable um she's she's like gail weathers in scream i can almost, no. Uh, uh, she's a milder version of courtney cox's character in scream where she's anything for the shot uh, she's breaking all the rules when they're in their apartment building she only cares that the cameraman gets the shot as they kill an old woman uh she's a, a tape everything so she's she, she's she believes that this is a
0: absolute injustice and that the government could try and cover it up so i look at it more from a distrust of the government kind of viewpoint than just i'm out for the attention so i think that there's an ethical thing that she's saying like like when the policeman's saying you turn this off and she's like these people we we have to tell our story basically i i actually took it more from a this went from like a like late night haha what's like while you were asleep kind of TV show which is what she's shooting to being like there's something wrong here and I need to expose what it is it's almost like I have like this goofy little show but then all of a sudden it turns into this like I kind of wanted to be a real journalist and this got real <laughs> am I am I am I, am I elevating her too much to you because I I, I think we're coming at her character in different ways.
1: I, I like that you see the good in these people, but yeah, before, before you even learn that they're quarantined, uh, that's when she's screaming, Hey, tape everything. So tape this woman being shot and she's demanding immediately to see it rolled back and, you know, making sure that her hair was on the right side when she's talking to people. So I see a little bit of that vanity, uh, in her.
0: So you take her to be more exploitive, and I take her to be more of a uh, character who's, you know, out to, uh, you know, t- again, record the, how, just how badly this is being going down. This isn't how people should be treated.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I took it as I, we're not really supposed to like her, but I appreciate that of, you know, don't make this perfect doe-eyed character that has no real background or anything she's just supposed to be around while bad things happen meanwhile angela's this this real human being that has some ambition yeah she's in a rinky dink show but she's finally got something and she kind of want to make sure she doesn't the shot's not blown that pablo is getting everything and that she can she has a big story that keeps getting bigger and my goodness the escalation in this movie i i looked at it this time it takes 12 minutes for something to go wrong with the lady in the apartment.
0: But it's and, not long, really, when you think about it, compared to some of my favorite horror movies.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. This is not a uh, this is not a slow burn.
0: <laughs> it is not.
1: Yeah. The uh, 12 minutes, and then three minutes later, you find out uh, from the old lady's apartment to everyone's quarantine. It's just this constant escalation game. And it sort of makes me think of Armageddon. Um, Armageddon's a horrible example of escalation, where just one ridiculous thing after another keeps going wrong, and you can't advance the plot. Everything here works.
0: So, what do you think about directors Jaime Balaguerro and Paco Plaza here?
1: I can't praise them enough here. Uh, I... I'm not familiar with most of their work. That can, me neither. That can, that can just be me, again, being ignorant American. But I, I'm blown away by their direction here. Just, like I said, the subtle things that they do, right? Some of the dirty camera shots that they do or the uh, through slats of wood down on the ground. How they kind of antagonize the cast but put them together uh there weren't any sets built i'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit but you know what they did with two million dollars to establish this and not make it cheesy because so many cheap ones are cheesy i i am thoroughly impressed and they also did a lot of writing on this there was one other other writer but uh the two directors were also the screenwriters
0: yeah yeah and hi And Paco and Jaime have, like, this deal with each other. It's interesting talking about their collaboration in it where if one of them pitched an idea and the other one didn't like it, the idea would be tossed out, no explanations needed. Which I thought was, like, man, these guys, like, bold moves, like, not telling your actors what's going on. Like, that's a bold rule of, like, you know, like, well, let's discuss it like civil people and we'll come to a compromise kind of thing. No, like, this movie is uncompromised from that standpoint.
1: Yeah, I feel like you've got to have a really good working relationship for just permanent veto power on literally anything.
0: <laughs> right? Like, I mean, there must be a lot of trust between those two guys. So, I mean, um, that they might not pull the veto very often, or maybe it, maybe it makes you not pull the veto button because you don't want your stuff vetoed. I, I I wonder what that would do, like in a working relationship. I'm. I can be argumentative and stuff when I when I have a vision and I want to see something through in a certain way. So I don't think I could I don't think I could work in those kind of conditions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I mean, this I I've seen the rest. Rec two is still one I would recommend. Um, it kind of goes back to this building and tells a different story, but uh, the the ideas get worse. So I, I wonder if that rule got thrown out later on or if there was some compromise. But this has an uncompromising vision. Um, do Plaza
0: maybe... and Balagero make these uh, sequels? I am actually yes. don't have them. Yes. Yeah, they do. Okay. So I'm assuming there's more money to be had later on, right?
1: There is, yeah. And it... so
0: when, whenever there's more money to be had, there's more people investing into it and more people stick their fingers in it. So in low-budget films... Film creators have a lot of liberties that as more money comes on, the more mucked up they get. And we just mentioned Spider Man 3. I mean, uh, you know, I've heard people talking about it uh, that, you know, it had so much money put into it because it was going to make money. So they put all this money into it to make it a bigger, bigger thing. But everybody's putting money and investing in this keeps sticking. It's almost like a lobbyist in washington like they're telling you what they want out of the movie and it steals away from what uh, ramey in that case could do as the director and the results are something that people aren't very happy with
1: oh, so yeah. yeah i had to shoehorn venom in and who do we get for to pr- portray eddie brock how about uh eric foreman from that 70s show he's popular right so while it can be
0: constraining that constraints can lead to great creativity in a low-budget film. Again, Halloween was made for very, very little money in one of our first episodes that we covered, and I was constantly amazed how resourceful and creative they were with lack of money. This movie reminds me a lot of well-used investments and in paying off through good camera work in particular, Uh, and that's true for Halloween and Wreck. Now, Halloween had an amazing soundtrack that this movie didn't necessarily have, but uh, still –
1: yeah, I appreciated the muted approach. It, upon multiple viewings of this, there are two instances of music in this entire movie that I could discern, but it kind of just lets you hear the voices and the panic and a gunshot going off, echoing through the building or footsteps. They really rely on a lot of the background noise to service their soundtrack and just panic for really about 60 minutes of this movie this movie is relentless um so you don't need john carpenter's halloween theme to tell you terror's coming they just they never stop
0: you you're right about that because it's like a roller coaster once you're on you like there aren't many lulls in the action there's a couple there's a couple but it's pretty fast like they keep it moving this is a movie well made for modern audiences and i say that in a slightly condescending way where people will sit there and go like star wars is kind of slow um (laughs) it's like it's like where
1: ah see this is what i love and you and i are kind of diverging on our horror and that's okay everyone everyone gets their own type of horror genre russell Russell enjoys these slow atmospheric burn movies the witch being one of them i i get off on on the witch that is not uh it's not one that i enjoy there's far too much dialogue to people getting killed (laughs) um i i like movies like this that are concise uh that really have the guts and most people don't have the creativity to do this well that once you push that button of we're gonna go I'm not gonna let off that button and the the thing about wreck that just blows my mind is the different genres of horror because uh, you have the zombie horror the quarantine the infection uh you've got the panic and mistrust of your neighbors uh there's there's just you know Claustrophobia, there's fear of the dark. They get so many of these things out of this one little building that it's constantly giving you a new reason to be afraid.
0: So, normally I would stress the importance of characters in the story. You don't really get the motives and understanding and backgrounds of all of these characters, even of your protagonist. Like you said, we just had a, quite a debate over what our take on this protagonist was it feels very real. And that's part of the beauty of a found footage where you're kind of making a different kind of movie. All those found footage movies that you mentioned and this one included, it it's less about characters. it It's more about being immersed very much so in it. And I think that's where this movie thrives.
1: Oh yeah, this isn't, I know we take a lot of shots at him, but it's something that he does and focuses on. It's not like a Rob Zombie movie where everyone has a background and you've got to know, everything about these people really we're just getting snippets of their lives and they're not caricatures uh so i appreciate that Uh, they're just diverse people put together and you get little snippets of who they are Uh, the most personality we get out of them are like caesar or the uh, the mom but for the most part you just hear two older couples being old couples (laughs) talking like old people forgetting what floor they're on just little subtle things like that
0: yeah yeah and what another story about how the directors were kind of playing with their own actors uh they had surprises that would be planted in the scene so at around 18 minutes or so when the filming where the fireman falls off the stairs and nobody knew in that scene that that was going to happen so their reactions of the thud we're, we're real. Yeah. And, and uh, we've seen stuff like that before, but not so extreme as this.
1: And I, I get mad if a movie is reliant on jump scares, but that was a good use of a jump scare because there's just... It's normal, somewhat calm talking, and then all of a sudden you just hear this plummeting and thud, and it just jars you up.
0: Right. And also, the uh movie and i kind of mentioned that they're only divulging to them what they're doing on the day needless to say they filmed this chronologically reinforcing that none of the actors knew their fates and they were finding out what was happening as we the audience are um again the the, the, the sorry the directors were very committed to this process that they were, were in.
1: oh yeah they even shot that the last scene is shot in complete darkness. Uh, they shot it with an infrared camera, so the actors really had no idea what was taking place. They could not see a thing. And it's effective, because you see the panic, and they're knocking stuff over, and it's just the scrambling. But uh, what what's nice about that, I, I think it's the second most effective night vision scene I, I've ever seen in a horror movie. The first, of course, being the Silence of the lamb scene
0: mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah
1: I mean I really appreciated the diverseness of the tenants uh I felt like that helped ground things for me How did you feel about the cast Russell I mean uh the residents of the building You know the first time
0: that I went through probably cuz my eyes are so on the subtitles and also because the motion is fast and everything that's happening I didn't have time to take that in to be honest with you and uh, the second time around, I, I noticed there was more tension. Like the little girl's family, they mentioned as being mm-hmm. Colombian. They mentioned that uh, they had Chinese neighbors. And then, well, I, that got, I got the racist comments from Caesar the first time through. <laughs> <laughs> um, but
1: uh, but the mall yeah. even uh, accuses them. So there's clearly some tension there.
0: I like that. I like that because there's this instilled distrust through race and again, maybe this is a bit of a callback to Night of the Living Dead where you know there are a lot of racial tensions in mm-hmm. this in this situation. and I mean if there's ever a zombie movie to you know pay homage to, it's that.
1: And Paco Plaza actually used a, a trait of his Chinese neighbors in this movie. Um, he grew up and he had Chinese neighbors in his apartment building and they left the door open all the time. He never could figure that out. And just as a throwaway line, he he uses that to add suspicion to Chinese neighbors in this story. And one of the I don't
0: know why that's suspicious. That's like the least suspicious thing you could ever do because they even have this phrase. It's like behind closed doors. Right. But I mean like if your door is open, I mean pretty much like you, how bad could it be? You know,
1: <laughs> I do wonder what happened to the old lady's cats. The the first one that goes nuts and attacks everyone, because uh, they mentioned she was up there with a bunch of cats, and I saw no cats. As a cat person, I need these. I I need an explanation of where where are your cats? Where are the? She might
0: she might have eaten them.
1: Well, that's fine. I want to see some consumed gatos, whatever. But <laughs> that lady too, uh, you feel bad for the the casting. Because they, they clearly went with a certain weight and uh, appearance <laughs> for for this lady. But kudos to her. She had no lines, but she pulled off just this disoriented, inner underwear, old, disheveled lady who devours people. And then she gets hit by a bat later on. So kudos to that lady. Yeah, it's just a.
0: I think they, I think these actors are probably excited because that's the other thing you have uh, when you have unknown actors. This is a, everything that you do is a big deal, so everybody's going to give it their all and stuff. So I mean, it's one of those things where, to your point, I think that even though there's some unflattering moments, I think they're excited and they're committed to go into there and do it. So I mean, I do wonder what it's like to have your carpet again as an actor. You create this character, and to be fed so little information at a time. Similarly, I'm not sure I would have had fun either from an acting standpoint or as a directing standpoint on the making of this film. However, I cannot argue with the results. It's good. I just I, It's one of those things where it's just like, wow, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could be in that situation, in that environment. But kudos to you. It works clearly, and I'm not going to knock it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so many things that – we've we've seen someone restrained or something and and then monsters go wrong. But uh Jennifer's mom, uh, when she's handcuffed to those uh the stairwell and the shutters raised up and there's just this horde and the the scream from Angela of they were eating her It's like, My goodness. <laughs> that was one of the most poignant
0: moments, I thought. Oh yeah. I thought uh, the other one being when somebody got trapped in there with two handcuffed corpses, or I should say patients, yes. so to speak, and one one guy was still in there, and you know they were like say like one person was saying we have to let him out, and the other guy was like no, <laughs> no, we are not letting him out. Hey, just stand in the corner. They're they're chained.
1: Yeah, the health inspector was was just like yeah he's gone he's done. So yeah, that's that's heartbreaking. There's there's there almost has to be. This is kind of a throwback to other movies, but there has to be someone that's hopelessly left behind. And in this case, there were two gut punches because you liked him. He was he was helpful. He may not have liked the mom, but you kind of felt for her, even though she was lying the whole time. So <laughs> She got what was coming to her, I guess.
0: Generally speaking, with there are some exceptions, and I want to I don't want to say which ones are and which ones aren't. But found footage movies usually don't end well for anybody. Because the footage has to be found, it's kind of like a black box on an airplane. if you're looking at it, then something didn't go well,
1: oh yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's the point of the found footage genre is everybody's gone, missing whatever um so they they don't meet great fates, but say lovey, I guess,
0: usually, I'm not into that, but again, somehow the found footage experience works differently and it's a relatively newish way of making a movie but i think some people will have kind of come to have a backlash against it and uh because they've got oversaturated but i, I think when it's done right it's got its place and i think it's going to stick around for a long time and i think it should
1: yeah i i know a lot of people came out of the blair witch and said it gave me a headache or i felt nauseous And if if that's you or Cloverfield did that to you, I don't think there's a heavy reliance on shaky cam in this one. There are some moments of panic where the camera is clearly jarred and moving quite a bit and running and just sheer terror and panic of spinning around. But I I don't feel like they went to that well very often. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, what do you think about the environment? that they're in it it was fantastic so i felt like this was a closer resident evil movie than the actual resident evil movies like this is
0: (laughs) yeah
1: this is the isolated location and it's further exacerbated by the quarantine and you know the bars and the cops on the windows basically threatening them of, we will shoot you if you try and come out. So they are so stuck in this small, small apartment building. There was, there was what, five floors? And each, each floor only had two apartments. So there were very few places in the set to go. It is surprising the
0: outside um, lockdown, so to speak, of the, the several block radius that they had set up and their containment was so well organized, but their ability to organize the blood testing and what was going on within the building and to basically shoot people and to take them out as opposed to walking around trying to give people shots up close. It was my only little one of those, like, um, every horror movie has to have those little dumb moments, like, why'd you run upstairs kind of things. This is one of those ones where it's just, like, did did the, all the smart people work on the outside organization of this, and all the dumb people set up how we're gonna operate the inside of this?
1: Yeah, I, I've seen, I've been part of uh, a pl- plenty of like flood disasters uh, where we've been helping out, and then the government steps in. And, you know, they're trying, but they've got so many rules and red tape that it just takes forever. And the people we've been helping down there on missions they'll, they'll say oh great the government's here <laughs> you know things were going smoothly so i i could see that i i've seen that red tape and dragging feats and all the precautions and other nonsense that they've got to get before they can actually do anything so yeah and then they send mm. in one guy
0: sadly that's a good point but that's something i would be frustrated
1: with in real life too Of oh, just yeah. like
0: there's not that many of us in here let's just let's 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 execute guys
1: <laughs> yeah yeah they didn't seem to have a real good scope of how many were in there uh, no because the health inspector was like wait there's still more people above what are you doing
0: i can't believe this movie went to four movies and didn't cash in with a re- uh, a prequel for what's going on in the upper um the penthouse they did oh well which one is that one Rec three that's confusing the name of <laughs> that because it implies that it comes afterwards.
1: Well, it's Rec 3 Origins. So does that help?
0: No, it should just be Rec Origins. All right. Well, maybe name your, name your movies better.
1: All right, Well, sorry, <laughs> but uh yeah, they eventually drop the found footage uh genre oh. itself too, which is a little weird, but 2 2 is pretty close. Okay. I I probably will continue
0: with these eventually. Are they still all in Spanish?
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. Rec uh, Rec Two and through Four are in Spanish, but uh, highly recommend Rec Two. It's different. I think you're gonna come away less satisfied. It's it's just a a different movie, but it's still a good time.
0: I like the apartment block setting. Yep. Uh, for for a place to have horror, it's not necessarily a place where you generally feel very afraid because there's so many people around and. In this case, you're claustrophobic, but it's a big building in a way. But on the other hand, it's so much of that big building can be unsafe at any moment, and that's a really interesting way of doing that. Before that, I'm trying to think of any other large apartment block kind of units that uh, were there. Attack the block uh, is a <laughs> fun one. But, I mean, this is one that I think actually takes full advantage of that. And the zombie notion actually is a good, good metric for that. I, I could actually see... As a director wanting to come back and revisiting this environmental atmosphere, where they are.
1: Yep, and this exact complex is where Wreck 2 takes place. There's also a Korean film uh, called Hashtag Alive that takes place in an apartment complex, so that's a good one.
0: Yeah, and I know they didn't have a huge budget to construct any elaborate uh, studio sets and stuff like that, but where they chose to shoot was was great. I thought, I mean, no apartment building would probably be this dark all the time, but I, you got to make it dark to make it scary. Oh, yeah. It's just like The X Files. Like, I mean, did David Duchovny and Julian Anderson have to walk around the darkest environments all the time? Like, why are they, like, why is it the lighting terrible everywhere they go?
1: Well, they cut the power, remember? And Caesar's saying the phone's not working either, so they put jammers in. So later on, when they go to use some of the devices, the power's cut. That seems super
0: not helpful. <laughs> like
1: I'm gonna say that seems counterproductive. <laughs> yeah, they were shining all those lights in, but yeah, that's the light you get.
0: Like more more lights would be helpful, if anything. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: like again, like I wanna see the parody of just like the people who set this up to run this and just be like, you know, like well, let's cut the power. That does seem helpful, you're right.
1: Yeah, they're just trying to make sure no no landlines or anything like that comes in or out, and they have the cell phone jammers.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: We, um, can, we can't have people let them know that the there's some fake vaccine that <laughs> turns people into zombies. Special effects.
0: You mentioned some of these being um, particularly good for the money. What are some of the ones that jump out at you as being – that's that's some good effects work.
1: You know, from the first bite, that old woman taking a bite out of the cop's neck and she's pulling the sinew and tissue from his neck—it's great gore and it's impressive for their budget. Um, there's other practical effects. The uh, uh, Trissiana, the ghoulish figure at the end, was actually played by an actor with Marfan syndrome. So they they used that disease, and this is fairly common of people with marfans that that are acting in this they will take on these roles where you would need someone with these odd proportions and limbs and then they obviously dressed him up and put put makeup on him to look even more ghoulish but he's able to do a lot of it without major prosthetics
0: yeah pretty scary results as
1: well oh yeah yeah especially uh, on night vision or infrared and, yeah Yep. Yeah, the little girl's eyes, too. Man. Oh,
0: Claudia Silva, Jennifer, the little girl, when she was, she had like this welt on her head already. She her eyes, the mouth. I mean, great work on that. And, you know, they do a good job of showing you enough. Like they shine the light on her in a dark room and they zoom in, but they don't, they don't look at it close enough to where it can fail either. That's another part of the brilliance of the shaky cam of, of this found footage, um, You can show less, but still have it be very effective.
1: Yeah, they actually mentioned because of kind of the frenetic energy and some of the darkness, some of their special effects were lost. I did see one of the actors had a prosthetic to hide his ear that had been bitten off uh, when he became a zombie, but you get such a quick shot of him that you don't even get to appreciate. Oh, yeah, this was the guy that had his ear bitten off. Chad, what other special effects
0: jumped out at you?
1: I think for me it was more the lighting and you talked about it there's a lot of darkness a lot of shadows going on but even the blinding lights from the spots that are shown into the building they create almost this mist when the health inspector is coming in there's you see these shadows playing off and this dark figure emerges from this blinding light and enters the darkness and it's just this great motif.
0: No, I agree with that. Some of the best uh, lighting moments were those moments where they were in the room, uh, like with the, we're trying to escape off of a balcony and, or again, down at the first floor when the door was there and they're kind of up against that plastic barricade. And, yeah. uh, you, it does feel like you're in, you know, this, there's silhouette figures on the outside. You get the impression that they're surrounded and, uh, adding to that claustrophobic feel. So I love that.
1: Yeah. they, they did a lot with the lighting and even the attic scene, you know, it's one of those things where who in their right mind is going to go investigate the, no- the noise from the attic. But I appreciate for a horror movie's sake that Pablo does and he goes and does that 360 spin in the attic and you get probably one of two or three jump scares with the little boy that destroys his light in the attic. But I love that scene.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I should have brought this up earlier. I don't have a lot to add on this one, but I'm guessing you might have. I have not seen the U.S. remake of Quarantine. How well is it remade?
1: It's reasonably faithful. I have seen some comments that they like the U.S. actress better. Some people thought Angela was a bit of a shrill character. I I didn't feel the same heart and soul with the actors and things like that. A lot of it was because they were working off a movie that was already known. Uh, so they were trying to recreate something, and that rarely works. Uh, they did change the ending a little bit, and there's a Quarantine 2 that goes in a separate direction than Wreck 2. Um, so it, it's interesting that the two pseudo-franchises go in different directions with what they want. This, this takes more of a religious lean with the Vatican, Whereas quarantine does not take that religious point of view. Okay,
0: okay, I'd I'd be interested in checking that one
1: out as well. Yeah, I mean, usually,
0: usually whatever your first introduction is is your your version. I find so. uh, For instance, I did um, you know let the right one in first. So the point of like let me in almost felt almost unnecessary to some degree. Like it's good. But I mean, I mean, it's just made in English with bigger name actors like Chloe Grace Moretz and Richard Jenkins and stuff like that. So, would you say that this is a case of that? And I keep in mind, take that with a grain of salt. I know you're not as big a fan of either of those movies as I am.
1: I don't think so. I I genuinely think this is the superior movie. But I get your your bias because I have the same problem with The Ring. So I saw The Ring first, and it made a huge impression on me and everyone says Ringu is the superior movie, but I saw Ringu, and it's, Ringu was made first, The Ring was made second, The Ring is like a shot-for-shot remake of Ringu, it's just not not in a foreign language, Um, it's in English, so when I watch Ringu, I'm like, I know all of this already, so it, it didn't work for me, so to an extent, you're you're right. Whatever you see first is probably going to be more impactful. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think unfortunately that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Um, even with remakes where they're made farther apart in time, but I think especially with foreign remakes, I remember Leonard Malden. Especially, I le- I really enjoyed *Girl with the Dragon Tattoo*, that came out. It has a Swedish version. In fact, they all made all three movies in Sweden, and a lot of the critics felt like even though I was really happy with the American version, a lot of the critics kind of felt like, sure, it's good. But like, you know, the Swedish ones were really good and they were made like two years ago. So I was like, why? Why? <laughs> like, why bother? Like, it was like kind of this thing that I saw across there. And I was kind of like, it's like, dang, this is good. But that's what I saw first. And so um, whenever, once you get the plot points delivered and stuff like that, it's, it's, it can be hard.
1: Yeah, so. I, I mentioned seeing 1959's The Mummy, but I, I'd actually earlier seen uh, the Uni- Universal's Mummy picture, and it surprised me how much Brendan Fraser's Mummy movie took from it. I mean, there were, it was very, very faithful. Obviously, updated <laughs> CGI and added some comedy. It's like, oh my goodness, this... You know, we we saw it at the age where we were what, thirteen, fourteen, something like that. So this was all. I'm new almost
0: afraid. I'm almost afraid to go back to it because I enjoyed it at the time, but I'm I'm wondering if it ages well.
1: I still like it. I'm I'm still gonna go to bat for it. I I really enjoy it. And that's that's a movie. If I catch it on TV, I'm happy to sit down and see it. Is, yeah. is 59 the Christopher Lee version, by the way? It is. Yes.
0: I saw that. I I thought it was um. Somehow like that one didn't deliver for me,
1: so. I don't think that one's as good as Universals. Uh, Universals is in the 30s, I believe. I, I felt like that was the superior version. What you saw was a Hammer film, and Hammer is really great at set design, And yeah. uh, but they love just having two old white guys talking in the middle of the movie for a lot. So <laughs> it's very dialogue-centric. And yeah, you do get great dialogue because it's... Uh, peter cushing and christopher lee but they sh- yeah. they sh- they show too much in yes. that
0: one i think the direction doesn't know how to make a horror movie but that's a that's quite a tangent on the mummy <laughs> yeah,
1: it's we're in a horror movie podcast for today so that's fine
0: yeah and we can do that on a two-man episode
1: yeah
0: so wardrobe anything that you want to call out on the wardrobe
1: I, mean, I, I don't know what Spanish firefighters would typically wear or policemen, but I I wasn't distracted by anyone's wardrobe. I felt like everyone's wardrobe fit. I appreciated the fact that Angela's, uh, her red jacket was taken off and, you know, the white tank top kept getting dirtier and dirtier. And it was good that she lost the red jacket so you could see the blood and everything else as she went through the ordeal. So that was a nice touch. But uh, other than that, I felt like most of the wardrobe, it it fit without being outstanding. There was nothing distracting.
0: The Spanish uh, firemen look futuristic, I think, with their helmets. Like, they look almost (laughs) space-like.
1: Maybe that's just what we're used to.
0: You know? No, for sure. I mean, yeah, ours look primitive compared to theirs. I mean, kudos to your firemen helmets. like They look like they're from the year 3000. They're awesome. And um, <laughs> that was one thing I noticed. And the other thing, um, Caesar, uh, he, he's the vain, effeminate kind of uh, character, also racist. <laughs> he, he is very concerned with how he looks nice. in, in his video interview, and I like that. However, I felt like, shouldn't he be dressed more sharply? Like, if he's so conscientious of all of these things, I mean, shouldn't he even, like, I don't know, it's just one of those things where I kind of thought, like, no, the character's doing a play, great, playing it great, but shouldn't you, um, I don't know, shouldn't he have, like, a nicer sports jacket and even, like, a tie or something like that, like, on, even though he's at home? Like, shouldn't that just be, like, how he, or, like, one of the, maybe, like, he's, like, more of a modernist, minimalist kind of style, like, with a mock turtleneck kind of thing or something like that. I, I don't know, um, I'm not the fashion expert, but I did think that Caesar's uh, character could come through in his wardrobe a little more.
1: Oh, see, I, I, it's the middle of the night. It's it's filmed during the show while you're sleeping, so that's true. These people were gotten gotten up late, so
0: okay, okay, hear me out. Maybe he has a blazer or something like that, like that he threw on over top of pajamas, like to try and look better, even though it's like a fire alarm
1: okay well you want like the hugh hefner silk robe something like that going on
0: something yeah exactly like like i can never look bad even in bed
1: i i got a lando calrissian vibe from caesar <laughs> you know oh, like and this i know we went opposite directions with the character too and i'm actually loving that but uh yeah i felt like he, he was smooth talking he's like oh you've got to get this side and uh i feel too shiny but he was very (laughs) interesting he was very interested in being suave and smooth even though he's a horrible racist i think he's i think he's a regular
0: racist like like a mild racist like not like i don't think he goes around every day like hating on his chinese neighbors i just think that he doesn't want to be around them
1: but that's another thing where angela's character sticks out because she's filming this entire time while he's saying these racist things And and then he asked, wait, are we rolling? She's like, no. No, we're not.
0: (laughs) And to be clear, both racisms are bad. I'm not saying one racist is better than another, by the way.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. All right. So, uh, Chet, do you, you want to hand out some
1: awards? I would love to.
0: All right. Why don't you start us off? Who is the MVP of Rec?
1: Jame Balagero and Paco Plaza, who are the directors. Yep. I'm um, I'm with you. Yeah, not I mentioned this before, but not only did they direct, but they also wrote this film. Uh their decisions to stress their actors without going full Kubrick lent to that tension that you feel throughout the film. And a lot of these directors can be so indulgent. I felt like they kept it short and I appreciate a film that just has the guts and the skill and the craft to just be relentless with your terror.
0: Yep it's it's uh it's fast it's short and it's thrilling it's if it were like a roller coaster ride it might even be one of those ones that like just picks you up and then like shoots you right back down
1: (laughs) okay so like cedar points top throw dragster
0: something like that yeah Yeah, like it's gonna be quick it's gonna be nimble but it's gonna go fast and it's gonna be over fast too so
1: yeah it'll leave an impression on you though
0: yeah so uh I I I'm with you. Jaime Balaguero and Paco Plaza are definitely my choices as well as the director co-directors. Which I think that's a hard thing to do anyway, to have that co-directorship.
1: Interesting. I thought I might be going out on a limb there. Usually usually we stick to actors here, but uh, I I'm, no, no. I'm glad you appreciated them.
0: Best supporting chat. Uh
1: Pablo Rosso. Uh, he's he's the one playing pablo he's not the speaking voice which is a little strange uh but pablo rosso is the cameraman and considering he's actually responsible for the cinematography i to me he was the natural pick and i appreciate so many of his shots that he did throughout this movie that just really grounded it for me and gave me this amateurish um it's so hard to be professionally amateur and he nailed it throughout this entire movie. And I loved all the unique shots he came through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And those tight quarter shots in the stairwells are difficult, too, to not lose focus. I mean, as he has to go up around people, turn, and turn the camera, there's not a lot of, like, dead looking at walls and, like, you know, stair risers and stuff like that. He did a good job. That's a really good choice.
1: Yeah.
0: And... I, my best supporting is going to go to Claudia Silva, the girl who plays Jennifer. Um, I just was impressed at this young actress's work, and uh, she scared me as well as she she made me go, aww. So <laughs> I, she got the full spectrum.
1: I did appreciate her. And, you know, I have a young daughter at home, and I was feeling for her. It's like when you're first watching this and you don't know what's happening, like, oh, my goodness, this little girl's got a fever, and you're not getting the – the medication to help her feel better and this mom's concerned and then it just turns into everybody's a liar and the little girl's eating someone's face so what a turn for her and kudos to her for uh that very memorable turn now
0: who is your hidden gem
1: i think i've tipped my hand a lot but i really like carlos lasarte as caesar Uh, i thought he was (laughs) he was good and he's one of the most memorable ones given the limited material he was provided he did a great job of bringing out caesar's vanity and the racism along with just this smoothness that you know you didn't like him for some of the things you he said but he was also he wasn't just this person that you're like i'm ready for you to die um a horror a lot of times will pick out characters and just exacerbate their horrible traits and just make you ready for them to bite it. And I didn't really feel that with Carlos's character.
0: Yeah, that's a great choice. I'm going to go with the older man on this one. And I, I don't have the name, a rare moment. I don't have the actor's name pulled up, but the older man and the couple who he's disoriented, he's confused. and
1: um, oh, oh, man, Manuel showed
0: yeah, Manuel Bronchud. He he did a good job. I liked him on this one, and uh, he he didn't get a lot of screen time, but uh, of all of the people who got not a lot of screen time, he did he really stuck out to me. I liked him.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great choice, and I really thought you were gonna go with uh, Maria Lenua, who was Jennifer's mom. Man, she did a good good. She job was to good you. too,
0: and I actually would have elevated her to supporting. So like, I didn't feel like she was eligible for hidden gem for me because i felt like she was so good like she was in a, I felt like she was in a different race to me like for, yeah. for this okay yeah, yeah. and she, she was and she, and she was awesome by the way
1: she was featured a lot more yeah she did such a great job she really impressed me
0: so if you had to recast somebody because i think we've been very praising of all this cast would you recast them with and this might even just be saying if you were remaking them pretending like quarantine didn't happen if you were just remaking this in an american version because we have no hope of naming a better spanish actor than these people they, they did a great job um chad who would you recast and who would you put in
1: place i really liked the cast of this entire movie so this is no disrespect to anyone but ben temple who plays the health inspector and i actually think i'd prefer a woman in this role and oh. and so I would give this to uh, Stephanie Beatrice, who plays Diaz on Brooklyn nine nine. I think she would be a great addition to this cast. Uh she does speak Spanish as well, or at least Diaz does. Um and uh I I think she would be a lot of fun in this. hear you know, that or I I couldn't find like a weaselly Spanish actor.
0: I, I made no attempts to stay Spanish and I apologize on this one, but I'm going for uh I just thought it would be interesting who would I put in the lead. So instead of Manuela Velasco, uh playing Angela, I thought it'd be interesting to see Deborah Ann Wall in okay. here. And, and you would know her as from Daredevil on the Netflix series as well as um True Blood.
1: Yep. You've gotta get your redhead in here.
0: <laughs> I do, I do. But I think she'd be i think she would be good at this and the reason I say that though is because the tenacity and that she has tracking down these cases yeah. and and daredevil and i like i think I'd like to see her and doing something like this and she's got she's got the um presence and the toughness and 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 a high pressure situation she exhibits that so well on that show I don't just say that because I think she's very pretty and I do think she's very pretty but I think that she has all the qualities that this role takes too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I like her a lot, and you're right, she does do a good uh, investigative role in Daredevil.
0: So, if you, what is your best shot?
1: Uh, my best shot. There are so many good ones, but this is going to be a weird one because it's not a shot you would normally want. There's a scene where there's a the camera is dirty on the floor, and it's largely blocked by Pablo's shoes. And you hear the voices and you see others, but it's not – like I said, it's not a shot you would traditionally want. But when you get subtle, realistic shots like this, it just adds to the credibility of the whole movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a good – That's a, I, I never remember that distinctly, so it's a, that's a great choice. I had a hard time narrowing this one down, to be honest with you. I think the iconic one simply has to be when Angela's dragged at the end of the movie with the night vision.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's such a great shot.
0: But I think the rotating attic shot shortly before that was really good, too. Like when they stick the head up in the attic and um, that infected boy was
1: up there. I, I do. I really appreciate that last shot because it's a long shot of her slowly crawling to the camera. And you don't even see Tristiana pulling her from the background. It's just all that sudden all of a sudden. A quick jerk and a scream, and it's over.
0: Where did the boy come from? I, I missed that one thing.
1: I got the impression he was an experiment. They were trying to get a cure, and it didn't work. Hmm. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah, that 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 was a little bit of a... Things were moving so fast. Even the second time through, I was still going like, hey, where did this infected boy come from? Yeah.
1: yeah, they don't actually explain it, but uh, you get the impression that this was an attempt to fix things and it, it just didn't work
0: yeah maybe okay uh, best scene in the movie
1: i think jennifer losing her fight to the virus her mother just screaming jennifer's they try and tackle this little girl and handcuff a hysterical mother to the stairs and then it's followed immediately by oh, Miss Izquierda and the Colombian woman are missing from their apartment. So, so many things go wrong in this one tiny little scene. And it it goes from bad to absolute disaster in the span of about a minute. But the mom's wailing and screaming for a little girl uh, as she loses her fight to the virus. is just heart-wrenching.
0: It's a great choice. And mine might be a little one-note, but I still have to choose the penthouse scene. It was just chilling, the night vision. Everything's built up to that. The, the pace of the movie also changes here. Everything's fast, 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 and then it's not. This is very suspenseful all of a sudden, and that's a heck of a way to build up and climax and go out on. So, I mean, it, it's just the lasting images of the movie for me as in green, black, and white of the night vision up there. So, And also... I think the Vatican shadowy organization of what's going on there, the conspiracy of that demonic possession, these play to a lot of the things that get me in a scary movie. So I'm definitely going gonna, gonna to go with
1: that. Well, that's a great scene to pick out. It's I mentioned the first, but this is the only other time that I picked up on that there's musical cues. So they really wanted to lean into that scene and say, even though we're giving you a little bit of rest, we're going to play this ominous music. That's going to let you know this isn't over. We're not done with you. Yeah. Now
0: let's uh, change one thing. What would it be, Chad?
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to start with a nitpicky thing and I'm going to break the rules, but it's a two man podcast. So we're going to do two. Uh, the ending i wanted the ending to end on angela's scream and silence they they cue up this weird spanish rock right afterwards and it's just i'm thrown off of what i just experienced i wanted it to just sit and resonate with me for a little bit yeah yep i'm gonna throw in my change a second thing just because that was such a little nitpick but uh I kind of want an explanation as to why the virus was so fast-acting in some people, but took a long time for some people like Jennifer and Alex to turn. Like some The of them...
0: health inspector actually said that. The guy in the hazmat suit, he said it's, its rate of effect is dependent on the blood type.
1: Yeah, he said something like mutation, but uh, I guess that was convenient.
0: <laughs> I think I felt like they covered it. Fair enough. Satisfact- satisfactory.
1: All right, then I'm just going back to the music then.
0: Okay. Uh, My change one thing is going to be Caesar's death. It was kind of frustrating. The exposition there was kind of rushed about the penthouse, and I felt like some of that should have been brought up when they said who lives in the penthouse earlier downstairs when the guy's like, the guy's never there. That was the time to mention a little more about the penthouse. And I didn't like that Caesar was coming up with all this information later on there. And then also it was frustrating that he was standing right behind like this glass door and it was too easy. Nothing else in this movie had been like that. If that was the only thing that it felt like, mm, I wanted him to be, just be caught because he doesn't move as well as the other two, like Pablo and, and um, Angela, Angela are just more athletic than he is. I mean, that's simple. I mean, his death was frustrating. Everybody else's death was completely reasonable, like they were stuck in a tight quarter, like they were between them and where they needed to go. They didn't see it coming. He didn't see it coming, but it felt like, I don't know, it felt
1: weak. You know what? For cosmic justice, I think I'm going to agree with you, and I would like one of the Chinese tenants to get Caesar. As he's coming up, you know, they're they're met by the Chinese tenants – have the Chinese tenants take out Caesar at that point because there would just be great justice in that
0: I could deal with them tripping him and then then him getting consumed, but I don't want them to like do like stabby stabby
1: no I mean as they they were zombies at oh that got
0: point. it right good point no I'm I'm not but I would still also be okay with somebody like 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 saying like you know help help me help me help me and they're like no <laughs>
1: Yeah, they've already left one person behind at this point, so might as well leave, Caesar.
0: Right, right. Chad, what is your best quote of the movie?
1: I'm going to do this in English, but uh, there are incredible security measures in place. We know nothing. They haven't told us a thing. We saw special forces, health inspectors wearing suits and masks, and it's not very comforting. It's from Angela and her report, and I think it's just a great summation of what's going on.
0: I'm going to go with Angela as well, saying we have to tape everything, Pablo, for effing's
1: sake. <laughs> yep. She's determined to get her story.
0: All right. Now, Chad, it's that time. On a five-star scale with half-star intervals, what would you rate 2007's Wreck?
1: Five stars. I, I've said before i think this is top three for me favorite zombie movie it's a masterpiece of escalation has the boldness to never let up and it changes so many genres from simple infection to claustrophobia to mistrust to fear of the dark all while just remaining grounded and realistic i had seen 126 horror films uh, during the 2000 decades and this is one of the thirteen that I gave five stars to. So,
0: wow, wow. I'm going to go with four, but I really enjoyed it. I'm not ready to commit to the five, and I don't think that I've had the exposure to it in the length of time. But it's really good. So, and it came into that uh, between fifty and sixty range on my top one hundred horror movies.
1: Wow, wow. It's uh it's tough up there in those uh, number one through forty i don't know where this is in my top 100 but it's certainly there i'll have to work that out yeah yeah and russell we're gonna switch roles for once i'm gonna have you pick a movie out of the three that i read are you ready
0: i feel powerful like the power is mine there you
1: go (laughs) you have the power so our first movie is jaws from 1975 When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. Next up, we have Anaconda from 1997, mentioned in this podcast. A National Geographic film crew is taken hostage by an insane hunter who forces them along on his quest to capture the world's largest and deadliest snake. And lastly, from 1954, oldie but goodie, Creature from the Black Lagoon. A strange prehistoric beast lurks in the depths of the Amazon jungle. A group of scientists try to capture the animal and bring it back to civilization for study.
0: Uh, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. I'm (laughs) going with Jaws.
1: Uh, You you, you can't not choose Jaws. When Jaws comes up, you have to pick it.
0: And I can't pick Anaconda. <laughs> Ever.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. <laughs> we're a positive podcast, so we're not going to go there.
0: That's right. That, we're not. The, we're not that podcast, but I am super looking forward to Jaws.
1: Absolutely. Can't wait.
0: All right. So we want to thank you, all the listeners, all the Lords, Ladies and Knights of the Retro Movie him We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, especially those reviews help others find the show. It's the biggest aggregator for podcasts to come together. So please give us an iTunes review. Uh, we really appreciate that. And then also if there are reviewers out there for other methods where you get the show, please give us ratings and reviews as well on that. Uh, give us a like on Facebook. Help us grow our community. We like to hear from you also give us feedback and uh, you can follow us on at movie underscore retro on Twitter, email us at retro movie round table at yahoo.com and check out our Patreon page as well. If you want to help donate and support the show. So Chad, thank you so much and uh, thank all the listeners. Thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chad.
1: Yeah. Well, we're on the quarantine subject. I will refer to one of the greatest all time movies. Why do you wear a mask? Were you burned by acid or something like that? Oh no, it's just that they're terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future.